Hi everyone, and welcome back to episode two of the LI894 Organization of Information Seminar podcast. I'm your host, Michael Wittersheim. Uh, thank you for joining me again in episode one. We talked about how this podcast is going to get philosophical. Um, I also mentioned how I'm emphasizing the, the, the role of the mind and your mind in research, trying to build your uh, research mind, uh, research perspective, um, and, and the confidence and, and the, uh, the, the reflection about what it is that you're doing when you're doing research, how it is that you do problem solving. Um, so in this episode, episode two, I'd like to try to delve in a little bit further into the question of what is research, what it is that we're doing individually and collectively, collectively when we do research. We're going to have to have a definition of what that is. Um, but as you'll see very quickly, it gets very metaphysical very quickly. And so what I'm going to ask you to do before we even get started, um, I just want to kind of go over... I don't know, maybe some expectations or like what it is that I think is like a good stance, like a good kind of, you know, if you're doing karate, there's like different stances. If you're doing a sport, they have, you know, a different posture. You should be at the ready. Like what is that stance for this podcast? Um, I want to emphasize the idea of trying things on. Do you ever hear that expression? Like I want to try that idea on to kind of explore it, to, to see if it works, not to dismiss it right away, but to see, is this, you know, a viable alternative? Could this give me some insight into something? Being open and, uh, you know, not necessarily always accepting of things, but kind of uh, like willing to consider things, trying something on. Um, I also think the idea of not being afraid to let something go, something that you thought was a real secure basis, some real, um, you know, serious thoughts, some serious, uh, you know, value that you have, sometimes those change and that's okay. And it could be okay to try something new on and see someone else's perspective about something. Um, I, I want to emphasize that uh, dismissing something is not the same as ruling something out. You can rule things out by exploring the implications of them, you know, comparing them to other things. You can say why something is not a good idea, and that is totally fine. But let's not try to dismiss things before evaluating them. And to be able to evaluate something you need to be able to like say it back to someone. Like if someone is explaining something to you, the test to see whether you were listening or whether you know you can really understand it is whether you can repeat it, explain it back to that person. Now at that point, if you can, uh, you know, say why this is not going to work, you know, that's one thing. But don't dismiss it unless you're able to kind of like hold it up and and think about it and consider it. Um, you know, hold it out as, as a, as a possibility. And that kind of gets at kind of a, I don't know, I don't know, maybe you disagree with this, but my research stance is more, I think like the lighter, the better. Like, I think 
I should nail down a couple things, you know, hold a couple keys down, but the rest is really, I'm just receptive to whatever happens after that. I'm not pursuing an agenda or like pursuing an assumption. I'm more pursuing a question. I want to see what happens. I don't know what's going to happen. And I think that stance of that uh, role of doubt, kind of that at the ready, not knowing what's going to happen, always being willing to see something new or different is really helpful because new ideas can occur at any moment when you're doing research and you should always be ready and uh, at the ready to kind of catch those and like jot them down, write them down because they can happen at any time. These insights or flashes of, you know, like an idea, something, be ready for those. And the best way to be able to accept that kind of thing to a new idea is to just be to be open to it, to be receptive to it, to know that it's that's a possibility, to know that it's out there, that you could think of something new at any moment. So then the best analogy I have for this is to be kid like, to be like childlike. And if you have kids, I think you kind of know what I'm talking about. They're always kind of half in an imaginary world or even sometimes almost fully in an imaginary world just going around in their everyday life uh that's kind of what it's i think it really it helps to be that way as uh, a researcher to kind of be in a state of wonder to be kind of um, amazed at how things work but not to really think that i understand it you know what i mean and so kind of a skeptical receptive, open stance, I think is really important. So now, okay, yes, I'm setting you up and I'm trying to get this to a point where you're going to be receptive to some new ideas about what I think the mind is. Uh, because once we've defined research, that's kind of where we're headed. And I define research um, this is my definition of research. It is the, the modification of knowledge. Okay, that's how I define it. And there's two sides to it. As I've said, there's the modification of knowledge in you, this kind of movement within yourself to, you know, having, thinking you know something, to doubting that thing, to, to finding that there's some kind of gap or mystery, and then re- building knowledge where there wasn't knowledge there to, to grow into a state of knowing again or or perhaps uh, knowing something that you didn't know before even if it's not completely figuring things out you figure things out the other side of course is you know explaining that process to someone else to sh I guess you could think of it as showing your work how is it that you arrived from that point to another and and why explaining that that argument, that process that you went through that you think others should believe as well, those are both part of the research process. That modification of knowledge in you and others. Well, then we're, we have to explain, well, if that's what research is, well, what's, what's knowledge? What is knowledge? How, how does it work? Where is it? What is it? How does it grow? How is it, you know, all these other questions. Um, Here's where I think we need to kind of start speculating about what the mind is in a metaphysical way. And even if it's not 
something that we can totally fully grasp, having something to work with, having a working hypothesis that uh, we can kind of toy around with is, is really, I think, going to help us out. So I'd like to ask you to kind of suspend your disbelief, kind of blur the fiction, nonfiction distinction for a moment, and let's just imagine what it is that we think knowledge is and the mind is, and let's just imagine in kind of speculative metaphysical terms what that is. Well, let's first, let's kind of jot down what it is that we know. What do we know so far? Well, here's what we know about knowledge, and maybe you disagree with this. I think knowledge is, uh, it's not a static thing. It's not something that sticks around forever, and we know this because knowledge has changed in ourselves, and it's also changed with us as, you know, as people, as a species over time. We don't believe the same things today that we did, you know, 200 years ago, even 10 years ago. Our knowledge has changed. So knowledge is forever changing, and this is something that um, Charles Sanders Peirce has said, and he, he was an American philosopher, pragmatist, and his idea of science was that it's, it's never-ending. It's a never-ending pursuit of, of knowledge. We can never have uh, a full comprehension of the universe. We will always be trying to uh, understand more. Our knowledge will always be changing. I think that's right. I think we, we just can't continue to think of knowledge as something that's like we're banking it or like it's staying the same. We're always changing knowledge. So, and with that in mind, I think we need to kind of start to let go of that idea of truth because how can we ever know, how can we ever really get at that? How would we ever fully know if something is true? So I think we, we kind of need to start over. And I'm going to ask you to kind of come with me and to rethink things about knowledge and the mind. I think we need to think of uh, knowledge is something that can die, something that goes away and changes, but that's something that it, it needs help, like it needs clearing out, and that's what research is for. It's that uh, it's a process of, you know, a focused and you know, um, open and transparent like reworking of knowledge so that others can see what you're doing, and you know, it's. Uh, it's done in, in a transparent and, and, and open way so that people can comment on it and see, is this how we want to go? The knowledge that we have is really just a, a navigational map. It's a, it's a way for us to, to get through our lives, to get through the world. And when things are going great, there's no problem. But it's when things you know don't go as expected and we encounter these surprises, these you know mysteries, we have to start to figure out what's going on and and we'll get to that process that is the research process so what is it that's actually going on in our mind what is the mind what is knowledge I am just gonna take a swing at this um, I think we have a pretty good idea of what knowledge is from um, our knowledge of the semantic web our, our knowledge of databases I think knowledge occurs in triples it's a subject object predicate or subject object value type of structure so think of I, let me just throw out think of like a triple helix structure uh, composed of triples okay and these triples grow in like a spiral fashion in the same way that like a cauliflower or like a Romanesco broccoli grows okay so these triples are our knowledge they grow we build them 
but they don't stick around forever. It's, it's an organic type of substance that uh, if it doesn't get the, the nutrients or the energy or the reproductive you know, attention that it needs, it goes away. And that's kind of how our knowledge is, isn't it? If we, we start to not use it, we don't need it, it's, it's not useful anymore, it kind of disappears, doesn't it? And it, we are gradually kind of going through these waves of always changing our knowledge, updating it in order to navigate our current circumstances. So I think it's more, we should start to think of knowledge as more of like an organic thing, something that's growing, but that can go away. And, but we can intervene in it and we can cultivate it. We're like the, the orchardists or like the arborists or like the cultivators of the knowledge as someone in academia or someone who is a researcher who's doing public research what your job is is to kind of manage that that force um, but our knowledge again it's inherently limited it's always changing it will always be changing we will always be searching for uh, the next bit of information to kind of clarify our understanding of the world and that process will go on forever that's what I believe I don't know maybe you believe something different if we can get to some kind of endpoint I don't know I'd like to hear your your reason for that but I think we need to be considering the mind more like an organ uh, something that has like a shape or it grows it takes up space and you might consider well what is this thing made of what does it look like I mean I don't know I like comic books I am perfectly fine saying this is made of vibranium I love the, the, the Black Panther, I love the Avengers, so let's just call it that. Let's say it's made of vibranium, but let's say it because what I think happens with the mind is I think it, as an organ, I think it, it vibrates. And I think it is uh, a sensory organ for um, harmony, okay? The reason I say that is, you know, how many expressions do we have where it's, oh, that really strikes a chord with me. Oh, that really, um, like, syncs with my knowledge that, that you know, there's... If there's not a discord in your knowledge, everything is great, right? It's and it's that uh, it's when the discord arises that we need to start to initiate the problem-solving process. What is it that is discordant in this knowledge that we have? So, what is it exactly that this mind looks like? Do we do we think of it if it's in like a spiral shape? If it's organic, does it look like ram's horns? Is it like a shell? Is it like a nautilus? Is it like a Romanesco broccoli? If it's made of vibranium, what do these bits of knowledge look like? Are they like petals? Are they like seeds? Are they like uh, leaves? Um, what I think we can we can imagine this organ as kind of like sensing uh, movements like sensing you, you know like a story occurs in a certain movement an argument occurs in a certain movement and like music occurs in movements and is that what the mind is supposed to be sensing does it grow and build knowledge uh, with these um, kind of building blocks uh, that have to be fashioned a certain way so like if I were to create a good argument would that kind of help you in your mind grow your mind better if it's kind of fashioned in the the type of um, you know packaging and sequencing that is is correct could I create like the perfect argument or like the perfect melody the perfect harmony if it harmonizes with your mind in such a way could it be so compelling you know it, it and so how is it that we can 
communicate, because that's something else that has to happen too with our minds, is it through carriers, like pollinators? Like if our mind is organic, is it flowering? Is it uh, cloning itself? Are there spores? Are there other types of carriers like bees or like other animals that are supposed to spread ideas? Um, my idea of the public sphere would be just a group of other minds together sharing ideas, but in kind of like a flower type of arrangement where like there's bees going back and forth. I kind of think of the mind, you could think of it like maybe like two flowers opening out one each from the other that are, there's like a stem that's hollow in between them. That's where the ideas travel in or uh, kind of activate the, the, the vibrating or perhaps like when we get a new idea, it's the act of like growth or pollination or some such thing. So what is this actual process, I guess, if we're thinking of knowledge as being stored in this kind of organic mind medium, there's pollination happening, there's vibrating happening, what is this process for building the knowledge? I think there's really, there's a couple of components, but there's, let's go over the three, the three main ones. There's uh, induction, deduction, abduction, okay? And we know these are the three main inferences that we use to build knowledge. And we also know this from Charles Sanders Peirce, who was really a pioneer in getting us to understand what abduction is. So let me kind of go over what these three things are. Deduction is when you uh, infer a particular case from a universal uh, law. So let, let's say like all men are mortal, you know, Socrates is a man, Socrates is mortal. We know that's the case. We're deducing that, okay? Induction is the reverse. It's trying to infer uh, kind of some universal or general law from uh, a, a case or a set of finite cases, you don't know if it's going to be true. It's only maybe probable, it's perhaps possible, but you never know for sure if an inductive inference is true. It could be that you're inferring qualitatively, it could be that you're inferring quantitatively, like, like statistically. Um, you know, have, drawing from past experiences inferring into the future or inferring you know a case into a population those are all types of inductive inference so that's the second type of you know muscle or movement that the mind has to be able to do and the third is the abductive one the third is let's say uh, you know I'm encountering a new situation um, there's something weird about it I don't know why things are behaving as they do, I need to somehow come up with an idea to get through this. What is it that would explain this weird circumstance that I'm in, this new set of facts, this surprise, this mystery? I'm not getting anything from my past experience. I can't use my inductive muscle. I need to cast some new light on something, get a new perspective on it. That is where abduction comes in, and it's basically a guess. It's, but it's an informed one based on all the information that you have. It's something that would explain the weird thing in front of you. And it's also something that you could continue to test out. Like it might not work out. It comes with a set of hypotheses that you could test uh, moving forward. So those are the three big muscles that are happening. And, um, you know, that's basically all you need 
I think we know from cybernetics and from AI, and we don't need it to be a very complicated system that we're using for figuring problems out. What we need, first of all, is, you know, this kind of storage bank of like our map, which is, you know, this knowledge organ that we have, the mind. We have our kind of sense aperture, let's just call it, whatever it is that we are collecting data about, we're like poking the world. Does this sense data, whatever it is, does this, uh, um, you know, experience, does it match up with what we have, yes or no? If it does, great, we keep building our knowledge and there's no problem. But when things just don't add up, there's something going on, we need to figure out what that is. And we might not know what that is right away. That's when that uh, the aperture, the sense data is coming back and it's not harmonizing with the knowledge that we have already. There's something off, there's a discord, a disharmony with this new sense data, this triple that we are seeing. So we need to figure that out. And we need to figure out what the problem is first. And, and that's kind of where the problem solving process begins is, is realizing there's a problem. But just to kind of review, um, we have this thing called the mind. You know, I hope uh, we all believe that we have one. Uh, it has our, our knowledge in it. It also has these three inference-making muscles, the deductive, inductive, abductive muscles. Um, I like to think of the mind as uh, in a spiral pattern. I think the golden ratio, I think that, that those types of shapes, like it's the most beautiful and it's also, I think the most economical. You can fit a lot of things in a small amount of space. Imagine like sunflower seeds or you know, like the leaves of certain plants, they are in that Fibonacci sequence. They are all in a spiral pattern. Imagine if the mind were like two flowers, uh, you know, facing away from each other and like the inside were, you know, like, like in a spiral pattern of, uh, you know, sunflower seeds or like petals or something like that. And like the, uh, the different chords or movements uh, the mind is kind of accepting or receiving um, are kind of you know activating these little senses that it's these little organs that it has on its surface I think it's just kind of cool to um, to imagine um, so here we are we have this idea of the mind now it's kind of a working hypothesis it's this organ it vibrates um, we, we use it to sense whether things are hanging together well, whether they make sense. Um, so as a researcher, this is going on in your mind individually, but I think we could also imagine a collective mind that we're all managing together. This is our shared knowledge, our, our literature base, you know, our collective wisdom. And as a researcher, you are the arborist, the orchardist, the cultivator. Think of yourself, and don't take this the wrong way, think of yourself as, uh, you know, one of the decomposers, like a bacteria or a fungus. Like you are, um, you know, breaking down the knowledge that's there, that's old, that uh, can be reused, that can be rebuilt into something else. You are, uh, taking that, breaking that down into usable parts and distributing that to other parts of the 
knowledge ecosystem. And your job is to not just break things down, but to redistribute, to uh, sustain, uh, you know, to preserve and, and, and to nurture certain parts that are going to be uh, important for us to know and, and to preserve as part of our knowledge. So your job is, is, is kind of the, like, you know, like a preservationist or, you know, like a horticulturalist, something like that. Um, so I hope uh, maybe that gives you just something to work with when we think about what it is that we're doing research. We are engaging in a problem-solving process to resolve uh, the disharmony that we're feeling. And, um, and we'll talk more about that in the next episode uh, when we talk about the research problem. Um, thank you for listening.